0: And uh, turning your Bibles to Matthew 13, our reading of God's law comes from Matthew 13, and we're going to be reading the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable as well as Jesus's explanation of it. And so we're going to begin at verse 24 and read through verse 30, and then through uh, from verse 36 through verse 43. Matthew 13 beginning of verse 24. "'Another parable he put to them, saying, "'The kingdom of heaven is like a man "'who sowed good seed in his field. "'But while men slept, his enemy came "'and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. "'But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, "'then the tares also appeared. "'So the servants of the owner came and said to him, "'Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? "'How then does it have tares?'' He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And now down to verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, "Explain to us the parable of the tares and of the field." He answered and said to them, "He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil." The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth." Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Please be seated. As Jesus explains the meaning of the parable, of the tares to his disciples. He says in verse 41 that the the tares are the people who practice lawlessness. He earlier said that the tares are those who are sons of the devil. Uh, But again, in verse 41, he identifies them as those who practice lawlessness. And Jesus also explains that the people who practice lawlessness are gonna be gathered out of his kingdom and thrown into the furnace of fire. Now you'll notice in verse 22 that Jesus uses the definite article when he mentions the furnace of fire. He doesn't say that the people who practice lawlessness are going to be thrown into a furnace of fire, as if there's multiple furnaces of fire and one may be selected for these people and another for those people. But no, Jesus says that they will be thrown into the furnace of fire. And so Jesus is referring to a very specific furnace of fire. Not multiple furnaces of fire, not just any ambiguous furnace of fire, but a very specific furnace of fire, the furnace of fire. And he says the people who are thrown into this furnace of fire uh, will be wailing in agony and gnashing their teeth. And we understand that Jesus uh, Jesus is speaking about the place we commonly refer to as hell. He's telling his disciples that a day is appointed when those who practice lawlessness will be gathered together and thrown into hell. Now, hell is a difficult concept, a difficult thing for us to understand because there's nothing else in our experience that we can associate with hell. Quite often uh, when we're introduced to something new, we're able to associate it with something that we already know in order that we can uh, understand that new thing, make sense of it. For example, if I told you that I ate lunch at Whataburger, you may not have ever heard or have seen Whataburger. And, <laughs> and so you would not have a very good idea of the lunch that I ate. But if I explained to you that Whataburger is a Texas-based food chain that has a very similar menu and cuisine as the California-based In-N-Out Burger, then you would be able to make an association with uh, something that you already know and understand. And then you would have a pretty good understanding of the lunch that I had at Whataburger. Well, Jesus is speaking to His disciples about hell. And it's difficult for him to communicate an accurate description of hell because his disciples have no experience with anything even similar to hell. And and same for us. There's there's not a lot that they or we can associate with hell, and so Jesus uh, resorts to speaking in metaphors. Uh, He says that Uh, This place called hell is like a furnace of fire, the furnace of fire. And he says that the people who end up going there will be wailing and gnashing their teeth. Now, this metaphorical speech is sufficient for showing us that hell is going to be a very painful experience for those who end up there. But it falls way short of explaining the actual reality of hell. Uh, And the same goes for heaven, When Jesus speaks of heaven, uh, He speaks metaphorically because there's nothing in our experience here on earth that comes even close to an accurate association with heaven. So Jesus speaks about a mansion that awaits those who go to heaven. He refers to heaven as paradise. And these things help us understand that heaven is going to be a really good place. But we don't really know much more than that. We don't understand the, 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 the degree to which it's going to be a really good place. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the um, Corinthians about heaven, he wrote that, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And so, if you think of the most glorious conception of heaven that you can possibly conceive put all your mental energy and faculties into trying to conceive of uh, the, the most glorious conception of heaven, Paul is saying that that doesn't even come close to the reality of what heaven is going to be like. Yes, you can conceive of mansions in paradise, but that's so inadequate. It doesn't even begin to depict the glories of heaven. So Paul says, you just need to understand that I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man your conceptions, nor has entered into your mind the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Well, the same can be said about hell. I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who do not love him who practice lawlessness, as Jesus says in our reading of God's law. So we can conceive of fire, of wailing, of gnashing of teeth, but that's not an adequate description of hell. That doesn't even begin to come close to explaining the reality of the pain and suffering that the wicked will experience in hell. It's much, much worse than a furnace of fire. It's much, much worse than wailing and gnashing of teeth. But these are the closest associations we could make, so they'll have to suffice for now. It's no surprise that the discussions of, of the topic of hell are unwelcomed in many circles today. Uh, this is especially true of those uh, circles of people that are made up of uh, those who have no assurance of salvation in Christ. To speak of a place where our holy and righteous God punishes people for all eternity is repugnant to those who are outside of Christ. It's frightening to them as well. They may not be willing to admit it, but it's frightening because uh, if the Bible is true, which they're hoping it's not, but if the Bible is true, then they know that they're going to suffer in this tormentuous place called hell. So a common response amongst unbelievers is to suppress that truth. They try to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and they become quite agitated when somebody unsuppresses the truth, somebody releases that truth, somebody introduces that truth into a dialogue where they now have to go through the, the mental, psychological process of trying to once again suppress the truth that so frightens them and is so repulsive to them. And sometimes in their attempt to suppress the truth of hell, they attack it. They might challenge the fairness of this doctrine. They'll ask, how is it fair that God punishes people for an, amount, an infinite amount of time when the person has only sinned against God for a finite amount of time. They might pose a scenario, a hypothetical, uh, where a 25-year-old man dies in his sin. Uh, how could God possibly punish that guy for all eternity when he only sinned for 25 years? Asking this question reveals a deficiency in the questioner's understanding of the holiness and glory of God. God is so infinitely, infinitely holy that to sin and fall short of His glory is not something that can be measured by time. That's where the fallacy lies. Uh, it's trying to measure uh, a, a sin according to duration, the amount of time the sin happened. Um, In other words, God's punishment of the wicked is not measured by how many minutes, months, or years uh, the sinner has sinned. Rather, it's measured by the sin against God's infinite holiness and glory. That's the measurement. It's It's a transgression of God's infinite glory and holiness. So that's the reason why his punishment is so severe. But I'd like to suggests a further consideration on this matter. In the parable of the tares, Jesus says that the tares are allowed to remain in the field until the day appointed for the harvest. Uh, So their punishment for the sins they commit on earth doesn't happen here on earth. It happens when they arrive in hell. Uh, But there's no reason to believe that the sinner in hell has stopped sinning as, he, as he's wailing and gnashing his teeth in defiance against the God who is afflicting him, he continues to add sin upon his sin. The sinner in hell is punished for eternity, not just because he transgressed the infinite holiness and glory of God while he was alive on earth, but he continues to transgress the infinite holiness and glory of God for all eternity while he's in, in, in hell. So the protest that an infinite punishment for a finite sin is flawed because it doesn't take into account the sins that continue to be committed while in hell. In other words, the sins that continue to be committed for all eternity. Our reading of God's law, dear friends, is a warning. It's a warning to everyone who practices lawlessness. Jesus has made it clear that sinners are storing up punishment for the day of wrath. And the sinner may think that he's getting away with his sin because he doesn't appear to experience any immediate consequences for his sin. But our reading of God's law is assuring us that the consequences are forthcoming to those who refuse to repent while trusting in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And so, dear friends, let us repent of our sins. Let's not suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Let us embrace the truth and repent of it, seeking our refuge in the the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Let us throw ourselves upon the mercy of God and let us go to Him now, not later, not tomorrow. Let us go to Him right now in a short time of silent prayer, confessing our sins, and entreating him to be gracious with us in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.